Greetings, green thumbs and agri lovers. Welcome to episode 310 of the Farmer's Inside Track podcast. I'm your host, Duncan Masua, for this episode powered by NetBank. Now, agricultural exports are crucial to South Africa for several reasons, and improving existing relationships in the sector can bring numerous benefits to the country's economy. John Hudson, NetBank's Head of Agriculture, joins us to unpack why agricultural exports are important for South Africa and what can be done to enhance existing relationships. John Hudson, welcome back to Farmers Inside Track. Thank you very much and great to be doing a podcast with you. Great to have you. Let's get right into it. Tell us a bit about the current status of South Africa's agricultural exports and why is it important for us to remain in a strong export position? The first point I want to make is that we've had three years of record exports and this culminated in 2022, the sector exporting 12.8 billion US dollars and topping that was citrus, but it just does emphasize the value that the sector brings to the table. And as I said, 2022 was a record year and close on the heels of citrus was maize. Now maize at 1.2 billion US dollars did benefit from a very high yield. It stands to reason, but that can fluctuate quite widely. Then you have grapes, apples, wine, nuts, etc. They are all meaningful contributors and we're very proud of South Africa's performance in this regard. But I think what I need to add to this is that South Africa is a net exporter. So we are export driven. If you think about it in the terms of that we export more than 50% and that's by value, but we export more than 50% of what we produce. That clearly brings into focus why exports is so important for South Africa. If you then add to it that sectors such as citrus, and I'll talk a bit more about that later, but the sector has grown. We've seen some really good growth over the COVID years, a bit more stagnated in the last year or two, but the positive contribution is massive. And I suspect that the sector will continue to grow, maybe not at the robust pace it did, in some of those COVID years. But the point I want to make is that with the local domestic economy being under some pressure, and it really is subdued, that any increase in production will not be taken up locally. There might be some increase here and there, but largely it has to be exported. So I think this summary or this introduction I'm giving highlights the importance of exports, but it also highlights why it's so important for us to continue to nurture those existing markets and then to look for new markets. So critical for us to find new markets going forward as well. Don, it's no secret that South African exports face a host of challenges, as highlighted by the shipping backlogs due to COVID, and of course the strike action at Translet. Please fill us in on what you feel the major challenges are that need to be addressed to keep SA in a net export position. I think given the focus on exports, it's vitally important just to talk through a number of factors. One, of course, is the logistics challenge. So it's really important that we are able to take what we produce from inland, you know, whether it's the citrus coming all the way from Messina or in the Eastern Cape that has to go via the road and rail and then down to the ports and then out of the ports. So logistics is a massive issue. And if you want to, in terms of fruit and fresh produce, include the cold chain, If you think of it, the logistics chain needs to be functional, it needs to be invested in, it needs to be really efficient. And unfortunately, what we are seeing is that this area of our supply chain 
is lacking. It's really under pressure. So from an infrastructure point of view, we need to continually invest in logistics infrastructure to make sure that we can export what we produce. So I think that's a vital component. But then if we look to some of the external factors, if we look at the geopolitics, for example, we are on a bit of a knife edge as far as that's concerned. You know, the sort of relations between East and West, if you look at the diplomatic spat with the USA, if you look at the Russia-Ukraine crisis, if you look at all these impacts on trade, and just look at COVID, for example, what that did to trade, I mean, it really resulted in the freight cost uh, doubling 22 on 21. And that was a severe dent in the performance of the export sector, export citrus and export fruit, for example. So then what you see, those geopolitical influences having an impact and those need to be dealt with. If we look at it from a different point of view, not only to talk about the tensions, but I think importantly, the increased regulation. So if we look at the EU, and again, I will expand on this a bit later and what it really means and put it into context, but increased uh, restrictions that have been forced upon us by the EU. And again, if I highlight citrus, there is a massive impact and that has a knock-on effect as well. So really important that we do look at these challenges. And I think, again, it emphasizes, and I made this point in the opening statement, we need to nurture those existing relationships. So if you look at the tensions in the diplomatic spat, for example, AGOA was one of the talking points. And, you know, there was, will South Africa remain part of it, et cetera. So that type of talk and that type of impact is not good for the sector. And while that's would mean that if we lost that status, it would not bar us from doing business in the United States in this case, but it would result in an increased cost to business and the knock-on effect to jobs and so on is just massive. I think actually, if it does get renewed, a goer going forward is important for us to actually make better use of. We probably haven't utilized it to its fullest extent at this point. And again, if it gets renewed in 2024 and 2025, there may be opportunities and reason for us to really focus on how to maximize that. If we just take the diplomatic spat with the USA one step further, if it went to full-blown sanctions, that way we would have a massive impact. It's one thing to lose that trade status, but it's quite another to have sanctions and then be barred from actually entering those markets. And if you think that some of the allies, I mean the EU and UK, for example, if you add that to the USA in terms of being an, an important trading block, you then start to see that that impact would be far wider. And the last point I want to make about challenges is when you have negative sentiment in the marketplace, and we think back again to the whole issue about Lady R docking in Cape Town and the negative sentiment that went with that. Well, it does have an impact on our financial markets. And this is the point I want to make. While, yes, we're talking about trade agreements, if you look at the deterioration in the RAND, if you look at the what we call the CDS spread, so the CDS spread in the South African context measures the risk premium of the country. And at the beginning of the year, we started at around 130. And we had the grey listing. We think back to the grey listing and it bumped up a bit. And then we had the impact of load shedding kick in and that severe impact pushed that CDS spread up again, closer to 170. So we went 130, 150, 170. And then we had the diplomatic spat with the USA and it went right up to 200. And so you see what happens there is that there's this increased risk premium placed on a country and that has negative impact in terms of servicing our debt, et cetera. There's a number of challenges and it is really important that South Africa navigate these and position itself in a world which is very volatile it often asks countries to take sides 
And my view is that we should not be taking sides. I feel that a balanced approach makes a lot of sense, but at the same time, you have to tread very carefully and make sure that you're keeping your trading partners happy. Definitely important points that you point out there, John, and you also mentioned the EU. What is it about the EU specifically that's a problem for South Africa? Well, if I look at the EU, there's two broad issues, I would like to say, and one is the European Green Deal, which I think is important from an environmental and a carbon footprint perspective. So more and more, we've been asked to put our sustainability credentials on the table. And I think that is going to receive increased sort of scrutinization going forward. So that we need to keep in mind as we work towards reducing our greenhouse gas emissions and a lower carbon trading environment. And so that's important. What I will dive into a bit more detail is, is what's been quite topical over the last year or so, is the more stringent requirements that are forced upon us by the EU when it comes to citrus. Now, this applies to oranges in particular. It talks to the cold sterilization treatment that is now applicable. It's been in place for a while. It has been ramped up. We've seen these requirements become more stringent, and that means we have to reduce internal pulp temperature of the citrus fruit to a lower temperature, and that has all sorts of implications. First, you need to invest in extra cold storage capacity and the ability to get the fruit down. And that could cause bottlenecks, etc. There's increased costs around it. And yeah, I'm talking about the false codling moth in particular. All of this results in an increased cost of doing business for the farmer. They have to comply with it. And while this has been taken to appeal, the WTO has been approached in this regard. It has not been resolved as yet. We're certainly hoping that we do see a solution here. And of course, time will tell. If I look at the citrus sector, and just to explain this in greater detail, the citrus industry exported 160 million cartons in 2023. We're sort of approaching the end of the season, so we're about 85% through. It looks as though we're going to end up at 156 to 160 million cartons. That's projected to increase to 260 million cartons by 2030. In a short space of time, as the trees that were planted some three, four, five years ago, as they come through in terms of the yield curve, we have more citrus coming onto the market. So not only does this mean that it needs to find its way into the EU, and therefore this is such an important market for us, with some 800,000 tons of produce, it's probably around 30% of our citrus going to the EU. So you can understand where there's increased stringent requirements put in place by the EU, it has an impact on us. In addition to the 800,000, we can expect that there's an increase, as I indicated, the yield curve is climbing, and therefore there's more fruit to be sold. It highlights the importance of maintaining a market like the EU, but also working on these stringent requirements, which make it difficult to compete at times. If you consider the South African citrus industry, it really deals with citrus black spot and false codling moth extremely well. We've had management practices in place. This is just not a new knee-jerk reaction, you know, by South Africa to say, oh, yes, we can comply. We probably have the best monitoring of citrus black spot and false codling moth in the world. And therefore, we have a very strong case to put to the WTO. The reason why I'm delving into this is just to highlight the importance of these markets to us and a market like the EU. And South Africa will continue to play its part, no doubt. And the citrus sector as well will continue to play its part in supporting government to ensure that we get a fair hearing and we continue to do trade on a fair basis in what is a very complex world setting. John, you're describing to me what sounds like a very complex situation. 
what then needs to be done and by whom? Yes, it certainly is a complex situation and there's no easy answer, I guess. But what it does require is both private and public, you know, the government and the private sector to come together. I think jointly there is a lot that can be done. I made mention that we need to find new markets and that's probably one of the key outcomes of this discussion is not only do we have to nurture the existing markets, and I've mentioned that a few times, but finding new markets is absolutely critical. And that's not easy. They're long lead times. You know, you don't just close a deal overnight. Often it does require the private sector to support government. So even the research that needs to be done and all the regulations that need to be adhered to, you need to build your case in many cases because As I mentioned in the previous answer, if you look at some of these stringent regulations that have been put through, you've got to have a a scientific case to back it up. So a lot of work to be done by private sector and supported government, but you do need government to close the deal. And it would seem, unfortunately, that some of our Southern Hemisphere competitors have got the lead on us. They seem to have been better at putting these trade agreements into place and these particular, the preferential ones. And therefore, it leaves us at a bit of a disadvantage. We've got some catch-up work to do to make sure that we don't get left behind, but that can only be done jointly. And if you do look at forward and we do consider where some of this growth could come from, well, some of our existing markets do show continued growth opportunities. USA, for example, I did mention it earlier where I felt we're scratching the surface. From a citrus point of view, the Western Cape is the only citrus black spot free area and therefore they have access to the USA. I think across the board, from an agricultural point of view, there's so much more that we can do. And by the way, agriculture is not the leading export into the USA. I think it's automotive. So there's probably more that can be done. But if you look at BRICS, and there's been a lot of talk recently around BRICS and the extended BRICS, there's certainly opportunities there. We need to leverage off that. And while China is a very important partner, more can be done there. But the likes of India definitely offer more opportunity as well. So I think a lot more trade that can be done with BRICS countries. If we look further afield, if we look at the Middle East and so on, I think there is a world out there that's waiting for us. But as I've mentioned a few times, while we have the opportunity and we are a net exporter, we have the goods to sell into the world markets. We need to ensure that we are closing these trade agreements. I think a lot of work to be done. A bank like NetBank has a vital role to play. We have to take a longer term view. We have to work with our clients in this regard. I mean, we have very robust discussions with our clients, asking them where are they going to be selling their citrus or their maize or whatever they are looking to produce. But at the same time, there's a reliance on us to partner our clients and to work through the ups and downs, take a longer term approach, understand the challenges they face in terms of getting their crops through to market and so on. And as a bank, what role we can play in easing up that sort of logistics chain. The farmers need to be extremely competent and very competitive. That's the foundation if you want to play in a world context. You've got to be top of your game. And certainly with the support of a financier like Nedbank, we'd like to think that we support our farmers, which are world class. This is such an important discussion. And if your client is in the export game, this is the type of discussion we will have with them, you know, to really understand what is at play. So lots to look forward to, lots of challenges, but I think also a huge amount of opportunity going forward. That was, of course, John Hudson, Nedbank's Head of Agriculture. And that's a wrap from Zanzi. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. From me, Duncan Masiwa, our technical producer, Megan van der Vind, and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi, thanks for listening.
Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.